Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why, I've chosen to use their gear above all else. Here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 244. Today, we're rolling into the next episode of the listener Q&A with my good buddy, the bow hunting fiend, Greg Glitzinger. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. We've got a a soggy day here in Pennsylvania. We've got whatever this system is that's moving up the coast. Hurricane status, I think, if I'm not mistaken, going to land somewhere around New York, New England states. Um, I'm not a stranger to that from my time in Orlando, used to the used to the hurricanes. 
Um, I think this is just like a little bit of a tropical storm. Not too much wind, just a lot, just a lot of rain. So time to do a little bit of inside work. Uh, of course, I'm living that basement renovation life, so I'm still doing that. However, next weekend, I'm going to take a slight break from it, and I think I'm going to head out finally and check some trail cameras, move some trail cameras, try to find a little bit of intel, look around, maybe see if there's any where the acorn crop might be decent in some of these areas that I have trail cameras out in. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to that because I have literally squat for intel uh, uh, locally. Uh, but primarily my focus next weekend is going to be on that on that new piece, get a couple extra cameras out and, and do another inventory check. Fingers crossed that the inventory check is as good as the last one because uh, it was – it was um, it was pretty baller, and uh, I will be very excited if I'm seeing something similar to what I had seen uh, what I had seen previously. Probably this week, I'm going to have to do a little bit of after work snagging cameras. Maybe it's supposed to get just like stupid hot again. Um, but locally around here, I'm not too worried about where my uh, my camera my my inventory at the moment. And like I said previously, a lot of these places don't really turn on much until. Uh, until fall. I don't really have a lot of great, uh, what I would call summer inventory kind of, kind of setups, a few, uh, that were, I guess, or, or, you know, what I've called in the past, like primary scrapes or whatever that you're using year round. And, and typically they'll turn on and off at different times. Like they'll be really busy in the summer. Then the mid part of the summer, I don't really see a lot of deer activity on them. And then of course, once fall kind of starts to roll around, the activity kind of picks, picks up again. So I get a very early kind of look early in the summer, uh, on some of those pieces, uh, in some of those areas. And then it seems to dwindle and then, and then pick back up. So I had a couple, you know, deer, I guess I would call it potential earlier in the summer, just haven't been back. You know, one thing I do spend some time doing this time of year, especially on some cell cameras, maybe that I was used to getting maybe more inventory and things of that nature. I'll, I'll definitely take a drive around and see what's happening with the, with the food that might be, that might be close by. Like I've said in the past, I don't have a lot of places where uh, there's a significant amount of ag nearby per se. Um, but there might be ag that's within a mile or something like that of, uh, a place that I'm going to potentially be hunting, you know, in the timber, whether it's a, you know, a scrape setup or whatever the case is. And what I will do is I will kind of drive around the adjacent areas and see how the food has changed. And a lot of these places, the food has changed, of course, this year, you know, one last year it was beans, this year it's corn, you know, some of it's, it was in grain. Um, and so I'm just kind of making notes of that. Cause a lot of these places last year were the first year that I, that I hunted. So this would be year number two for a lot of these places. And so I really don't have a bead on the crop rotation and exactly what it does, uh, to the traffic at different times at different times of the year. So in a lot of ways, I'm still kind of learning some of these properties, even though I had some good encounters last year, uh, still a lot to learn on these pieces and, uh, looking forward to getting back out, checking those cameras. Cause I've not done a card pool of any of my regular cameras. Uh, locally. And there's a handful of them that I have some, some high hopes for. So, so fingers crossed, but with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and get ready to jump into today's podcast. Before we do that though, quick mention, head to skullbrewcoffee.com, use the promo code TFTS, get yourself some savings on that. We have some pour over packs for travel hunting and for camping, whatever the case is that way you're not having to suffer through drinking the rot gut, uh, instant coffee that a lot of folks, uh, make. So pick up some of that at skullbrewcoffee.com and don't suffer shitty coffee. And then also if you head to the website, truthfromthestand.com or my Instagram page, uh, you can pick up some truth from the stand merch, use the promo code TFTS 21 and get yourself some savings there as well. Got a cool show for you guys today. This is part two or just the next iteration of the listener Q and a session. 
that Greg Litzinger and I were uh, or did together earlier. I guess it was like two weeks ago or something like that, that we actually actually recorded it. I think I mentioned in the first session that this was just like a marathon podcast session. So I'm going to be breaking it up over the course of the next few weeks and putting out bits and pieces of it where we really just kind of dive in and try to answer every question that, that you guys sent in. And today what we're really kind of focusing on is we got a lot of questions around access, you know, balancing family and hunting time. It's always kind of a struggle. I'm, you know, I've kind of been transparent with you guys here in these upfronts of these podcasts where it's like, I'm doing that right now. You know, I'm balancing that family domestic uh, responsibilities with trying to get out and check cameras and, and stuff like that. Um, and right now the, the domestic side of things are winning, you know, the, the things around the house that need to get done with the basement and stuff like that are the priority. And so I'm putting that time in now that way I have the time in the fall when I really, when I really need it, it might put a little cramp in my knowledge base walking into the season. Um, but I'll just have to make up for that even when the season hits by, you know, spending some days, you know, scouting or maybe morning scouting and then setting up and hunting evenings, whatever that, whatever that looks like. We talk a little bit about ground hunting, acorns versus soybeans, you know, when do deer want either one of those and how does that dynamic work whenever you might have both of those in the same spot and then locating bucks based on nighttime and trail camera images. I know Chad and I've talked about this in the um, the trail camera strategy session that he and I did together, but this is always kind of a, a big topic because a lot of folks will get, you know, a lot of nighttime images of bucks and get really excited about it. And you really want to know what that means for your hunting opportunities for that deer. I get plenty of nighttime photos too. Um, doesn't mean that deer is not killable just means he's probably not killable in that spot. So you got to kind of have to do your due diligence to figure out, um, how far away he might be from that camera. And, and Greg and I kind of go in depth in in terms of what our process is to figuring out if one, if that deer is killable, um, from our perspective, you know, based on us hunting it. And then two, how we would go about locating where that deer might be and where that kill opportunity might be. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. As always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right. This next one is, so this is actually getting specific on exit and entry, entry and exit. Um, how do you plan your entry and exit if you know or think that deer are going to be approaching from multiple directions? So you want to take this one or you want me to take uh, a stab at it? Actually, I was, I set up a tree this morning. Well, I got an idea what tree I want to pick up. And the entry is super hard because you're parallel in the swamp and there's multiple trails kind of crossing. So for me, I know I'm going to give up two trails to gain access to say six trails. So I'm going to burn two to get access to six. Mm -hmm. So if you have deer coming in from, from numerous directions, you're going to have to give up something to get something. Yeah. And that's a tough, it's tough because especially if you don't know which trail that bucks going to come on, mm -hmm. um, you will use, most likely to lose that game good percentage nine times out of ten you're yeah. gonna lose that game even yeah. if you do have good access and you know and like for me just... like very rarely does a, a buck ever because I, I do a pretty good job of, of setting up you know mm -hmm. my, my ground scent stuff like if i if a buck does cross my scent i can shoot it you know that yeah. is that is important you're entering you know especially your entry into morning or evening if you have to cross a deer trail near your stand make sure you can shoot right there i've that's got me numerous times on some really good deer it's like oh he's coming here he comes and they just kind of veer off a little bit and they catch you know my ground scent and they're coming they're facing right at me and it's like the game's over they're not coming. Right. they know what's up they're going to just disappear and go about the merry way yeah so 
and exit, it's kind of tough, you know, because it's dark. You know, and I don't really use eyeshine getting out. Like, I, I do a good job, of, like, leaving. Um, so there is some meanderings, you know, even mm-hmm. in my mornings. I don't put out an eyeshine, you know, with all the, the maps out now, you know. It's pretty easy to not veer get off too yeah, far. But yeah, but you do veer off a little bit, you know. Yeah. But I don't want anybody to know where I'm at. So I give up, you know, some spots. You know, right. But in the evening, like, if you're hunting a bed and that trail's blown out anyway, well, I'm just leaving anyway. I'm not going to necessarily make excessive amounts of noise, but I'm right. also not going to be, like, super right. quiet because they already know what's up, you know. Right. Yeah, you're already in their bedroom. And yeah. they, as soon as they come back, the first time they come back in, they know that yeah, you're there regardless. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so your entry, if you got to cross any deer trail, make sure you can shoot it and... Your exit, if let's just say you're blowing out a bunch of deer, uh, entering or exiting, you need to stop, <laughs> go back to the drawing board and be like, all right, I'm doing this wrong. Yeah. Because if I blow out deer on the way in, um, especially like hunting the big woods, if, if I'm not within, you know, if I'm 100 yards away from where I want to be, I don't care. Mm-hmm. That's 100 yards, you know. But if I'm blowing out deer and I'm right where I want to be, then I'm doing it wrong. Either my timing is wrong or the, how I'm accessing that point is wrong. So you need to go back to the drawing board and be like, when daylight comes, get down, figure out how you can get to the spot. If you got to, I mean, I've had spots where I've had to go way out of the way, a quarter mile out of the way, like make a big loop to get to a tree for one sit. Yeah. But it's also paid off a few times. So it's like, all right, yeah, sure, I'll walk in the pitch black, get spiders. Right. But I'm also going to, you know, the odds of me killing the deer is going to be better because I'm eliminating, you know. Yeah any does or bucks that might cross my set. Does are right. worse because they'll just stomp and snort you know, let for three hours. Know that, yeah, let and everyone it's like, know all right, we get it. You got me. Yeah. Uh-huh, you got me. Leave now, please. Right. So. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think you covered everything. I think the point that you made with you're going to have to give up something to get yeah. something is really important. Um, you know, you can't go into an area like that and think that you're going to be able to kind of be able to cover every area. I would also say most of the time too, it's like you shouldn't try to cover every area. Like you should, you know, have scouted or ran cameras enough, especially in an area like that. I would say camera is going to be critical. Get your information, even if it's earlier in the season, right outside of like before they shift or whatever, just to get a general idea, like how they like to move in that area. So you can start to cut down on what direction. So whenever you do decide to give something up, you're giving up the lower percentage odds right now. Is there a chance that it burns you? Sure. It happened to me this year, you know, whenever that buck I should have killed in PA, that shooter that I wanted to shoot that I screwed the pooch on, he came out of a spot that I wouldn't just didn't anticipate, never saw a deer come out of there on camera before, like just out of the blue. Right. So, so I think that that's the one thing in an area like that, run a camera and legit run it all year round and understand what they're doing early season, what they're doing mid October what they're doing late October, what they're doing during the rut, what they're doing during late season. Understand like if they're changing their patterns of movement through there at different times of the year. So now you know what to give up, right? I think the other part too is try to access an area that you have a barrier to use, right? Like, so a really easy one is like water access, right? It's like, you know, so is, and you may not have, this person may not have water access in this area, but there's a particular area that I hunt that they are coming from all different directions. But instead of walking in, I decided to use water access 
and and then hike in because I can literally hike perpendicularly yes. and not cross deer trails until I literally get to yeah. where I'm going to hunt. And then at that point, I'm already in, set up in my tree. I've not crossed yeah. anything. I've not boogered anything up. I'm I'm good to go. You know, and so it's things like that. And you can use that with there. It's well, like hike, a, a hiking, cliff. Hiking trails are good. Hiking trails are I, great. I've Dan told, uses those. Like yeah. that's one of Dan's yeah. like probably miss. Um, maybe least known tactic, you know what I mean? Is, is hiking using yeah. hiker trails. <clears throat> he hunts right off, he'll hunt right off of them too. I've, I've killed quite a few bucks within 50 yards of Appalachian trail, mm-hmm. hunt, you know, 50 to hundred yards. They're used to scent, smell, sounds, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So I think we covered that one pretty well. I think it's, I think it's a tough pill, but there's a couple different ways yes. you can do it. I would say at minimum run camera in there for one yeah. full season and that and, way, the second season, and, you can And don't know. be afraid to, to make a mistake or try something. Yeah. You know, if you, you can't sit on sidelines, you know, no. expect to get in the game and play. And it's like you, you're going to have to go in there and, and you're going to bugger it up a few times so you yeah. get it right. Yeah. And, you know, you, it might take three morning sits in, in an area to really understand how deer are coming through there because you might go in there, deer are not coming through there that day. So you're like, oh, this is a great access. Next time you do it, you get blown out. Next time you do it, you get blown out. Well, okay, you know. Now, All of a sudden, you know, your access wasn't as good as you thought yeah. it was. You know what I mean? It's like, well, now you now you know. Yeah. You know, it's like you don't know until you know. You know, and that's the point. It's like some of the stuff you just have to try. Yeah. You do the best you can to figure it out in advance. Yeah. Make some educated, you know, decisions or guesses. And then after that, you just live the consequences yeah. and and adapt afterwards. Yes. You know, it's unfortunate. Learn. But that's really, Learn from your mistakes. That's what this whole thing is, yeah. really, is one lifelong learning yeah. process. Um. This person here, we're going to, this is a little family oriented here. It says, how do you balance hunting and family specifically for the weekend warrior of which you and I both are. So <laughs> we are not, we are not hunting celebrities. No. We do not make our living in the outdoor industry. We do not hunt for a living. Not yet. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'll take a stab at this one. I think it's like any, it's like anything else, you know, if it's something that you really like to do and you, and you want to try to be good at it, like you got to prioritize it. Um, and so sometimes that means maybe you have to give up other things that you really like to do. If this is something that you want to be, that you want to pursue. Right. You know, for me, for example, it's like, I used to play music a lot. That was what I did as like a first career. Um, and I still love music and I still like to play. Slapping the bass. Yeah, slapping the bass, yeah, man. Um, would still like to, would be cool to play with some guys now, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like in, 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 in rehearse and do that stuff, but I just don't have the time to do it. And it's like, and if I want to do that, hunting's the other thing that takes up a lot of my time that I have to give that up and I'm, and I'm not willing to do that. I think the other part is too, is whenever it's not hunting season is that you keep your house in order. Like, it's always hunting season. It's always, yeah, 365, bro. Um, You know, like, right now is a perfect example. I'm remodeling my basement basically every weekend right now. Like, I'm spending in the basement, like, doing work, right? Because, you know, I have a very clear understanding with my wife. We're very honest with each other that when mid-September hits and, you know, bow season opens in our area, like, I'm not available for anything on the weekends from then until like, I basically tell her from then until like January 1st, yes. like don't plan anything for me. Don't plan like us going to dinner with someone on a Saturday. Don't plan to have people. If you want to, you can, I may or yes. may not be here, you know, but don't plan anything around yes. me. And if you give me that time, the time after that, I will schedule yeah. scouting, whatever else I want to do on the weekends and stuff like that around whatever we have going on as a family, yes. you know? And so, and so with that, 
you know, we just kind of lay out those ground rules early and they're not even rules. They're just like understandings. And look, life comes up and like, sometimes, yeah, like I got to miss a, a Saturday of hunting or something yes. like that because something really important came up that we didn't know about, or my daughter got sick or a family member got sick and my wife had to travel to them. And so or I had this tagged thing. out and I don't need to get up at 3 a.m. That'd go be hunting. great. I don't know what that feels like, but, <laughs> <laughs> but so I think it's just, you know, open communication and, you know, I've worked myself into a situation where, you know, I've wanted to have a, a job that was remote for a long time. And I work in a profession where I can work remotely. And so I just finally worked my way and working for a company that I work a hundred percent remote and my headquarters is nowhere near where I live. So there's no ever expectation of me being in the office. So you basically just hate people. I basically just don't like people. The pandemics have been really good for me. I haven't yes. had to talk to people, um, you know, but now it's like I can go and travel and live out of the hunting trailer and stuff like that and work from it. Cause I've got internet access in it and stuff like that. And I can work from it and travel and hunt, you know? And so I built a situation that's favorable for me, you know, and anybody can do it. It just takes a little bit of time, but this has been something that's been in progress for me for probably like three years where I was like, I know this is what I want to do. I just need to figure out a way to get there. And I just plan, built the trailer, worked the job, left, got a promotion, left another place, got another promotion and landed where I needed to be in order to so do the things I wanted to do. quitter. That's what you're saying. I am a person Habitual who... Habitual quitter. I am a person <laughs> who is interested in putting myself in the best scenario possible <laughs> to like the you most benefits. them out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it was just, you know, was willing to be mobile, <laughs> you know, no pun get intended, it. in my career to get myself in a position where I would have the setup that I want to be able to hunt as much as I possibly can while still being able to take yeah. care of my family responsibilities That's and my work responsibilities. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com 100% on that. And back to, like I said, with the, your spouse. You know, my wife, you know, I got married later in life. I was single for the majority of my life. Got married, had kids late, 40. Mm-hmm. 40. Mm-hmm. Big 4 0. Yeah. So I was in a career at the time where I had 10, what, 10 years, 15 years, yeah, almost 15 years. So I had accumulated lots of vacation, mm-hmm. lots of PTO time, I guess, if you will. And then I got married. And that definitely changed how much time I spent in the woods yeah. but my wife knew from day one and she was accepting of what I did yep. she didn't try to change me you know and that's probably why we got married because every other girl or woman or whatever you want to call them I was dating at the time they were like you can't go hunting or we got all these things it's like negative I'm going hunting right. that's what I'm doing that's what I do I've been doing this before I met you I'm probably going to be doing this after you're acting like this after I after you yeah. <laughs> yeah so my wife was very understanding and she gets it she we talk about it like you said it's very open honest she knows one advance when I'm on vacation you know mm-hmm. and she gets the week every year family we do a lot of weekend trips you know we're, mm-hmm. we do a lot of I do the best I can to accommodate them and then she does the best to you know, yeah. hold down the house you know we 
We went to Montana last year. Two weeks. Like, she worked from home, two kids. Yeah. Like, all that stuff. So, it's like, oh, it's a trooper. Yeah. You know, she's a rock star. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Number one, I know her. She's, <laughs> yeah. she's super cool. And but, my wife's the same way, yeah. where it's like, she's just... Um, yeah, your spouse has to be understanding, and you also need to be understanding, because it can't just be you, yeah. your wants and needs, yeah. because that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Resentment builds up, yeah. you know, and... Communication and planning are the two things yeah. you mentioned there that are freaking key. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially, a lot of guys struggle with that. Even a lot of just couples in general. Mm-hmm. Like, what are our goals for the year? Yeah. Well, I'm going, you know, my goals, mid-October to mid-November, they're not going to change. <laughs> so right. I'm pretty consistent on that. You know? yeah. What do you want to do in the summer? You yeah. know, where, where do you want to go? Yeah. And that's, a, that's actually, actually really important because I take, you know, I typically take my trip around the same time every year mm-hmm. too. And so it's almost like, you know, my wife can kind of plan, you know, that like we know year over year, it's yeah. going to be mm, these two weeks roughly yeah. that he's going to be gone. And then October is kind of like a crazy yeah. thing, like where he's going to take some days here yeah. and there, but like, he's not going to be gone, gone yeah. necessarily. Right. Exactly. He's going to hunt some weekends and maybe take some days off. Still here be local, still be around. Like if I need to be, and I can, I can adjust if I, if I need to, or whatever the yeah. case is. But the other thing we did too, is we built in like whenever I go away, uh, my wife's mom actually comes out and stays with her for those two weeks. She's mm-hmm. retired, so we're in a position that she can do that, and which is nice. And she spends that those two weeks with her mom, which they don't get to really do yeah, very nice. often. And my daughter gets to see her, and, and you're not around ruining it. And I'm not around ruining it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and they just kind of have now made it like their girls, yep. the two weeks for the girls. You know what I mean? And they'll go out to like dinners or they'll go to a play or whatever. Stuff that you don't want to do. <laughs> shit that I'm not going to do. You know what I mean? So it's like, and I have, I'm totally cool with it. I'm like, all that shit you like to do that I hate. High five. <laughs> you, like, feel free to find someone else yeah. to go do those, those yeah. things with you. You know, because like. And two, it's, you know, the, the bouncing, it's tough, you know. Um, but you have to, it requires work and effort. 100%. And that, I mean, I know guys, you know, that will literally, they're the wives, girlfriends, you can't go hunting, you hunt too much. I don't, I personally would not put myself in that situation, you know, and I got kids, you know, I would never put my kids above, you know, or hunting above my kids, right. you know, like I always tell, I tell my wife and everything, I would rather be known as a good father and husband than a hunter, Yeah, you know, a they don't give out awards for that, for being a good father, husband, but which they should. There should be podcasts, excess amounts of podcasts on good yeah. dads well, and good husbands. I, I think the other thing is too is like if you listen to a lot of a lot of guys that listen to this, you know, uh, are you know Dan followers of Dan, yeah. right? Um, and you and I have followed him. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've 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 stole a ton of shit yeah. from him. <laughs> I mean, it's like as far as like how to hunt and like yeah. things that we've used and stuff like that. If you listen to him as he's gotten older. You know, and he talks about, and he's talked about this on podcasts, you know, he's been very open about it. Things that he wishes he would have done differently mm-hmm. is he wishes he wouldn't have prioritized hunting as much as he did when he was younger. Cause there was a lot of things he gave up and missed. Yes. And now as he's gotten older yeah. and has, and I was just thinking of this today as I was driving here and I forget what made me think of it, but it was, Oh, well, you know what it was? a long ass drive here. It, it is a, lot of a shit pile of traffic <laughs> this time. Um, I was listening to a Jocko Willink podcast and he was talking to, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he was a Green Beret. And, like, the guy saw crazy amounts of combat in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, But he was young when he saw it. Like, he was actually in a leadership position, like, super young. I think, like, 25 or whatever. And that was when he did his first, like, major tour. I think he ended up doing four total tours between Iraq and Afghanistan. And 
he he had a a leader give him some direction at one point that he thought was kind of asinine and they went and did it. And if they wouldn't have done it the way that the leader said, and they all kind of scoffed at it, it literally would have, would have killed their entire crew. Mm-hmm. Right. But they followed what the, the direction the guy gave and they made it out pretty well unscathed and killed all the bad guys. Yeah. Right. And it dawned on me at that point, I was like, there are certain things in life that it's unfortunate that you, you only get with experience and perspective. Yes. Where it's like it, you don't you don't get it until you've lived a little bit of it, because it was interesting listening to him. Because after that, whenever he went into his next tour, mm-hmm. he was a he was like a no, I won't say a different person, but he now had that life experience yeah. to where he had some context. Yes, he had he saw the whole picture yeah. now, right? And that's the part I think, especially when young guys get all amped up and into hunting, you know, you lose that context you don't well i shouldn't say you lose it you don't have it yes and it's not being derogatory i'm not like the old guy saying get off my lawn you know it's like that's not it i was the same way you know and it's just one of those things where it's like someone can tell you as often as they want to tell you but until you've kind of lived that life experience you just don't get it well i looking back when i mean i there was a a six-year stretch there where I, i killed big deer every year six years straight it was I couldn't do no wrong, mm-hmm. but the amount of effort and time that it required to do that, now being a family man, I could not do that. Yeah, I would not want to do that. I literally gave up everything. When I say I gave up everything, I worked two jobs, and I had no friends and no life. Yeah. That, so you figure uh, there's a five-year stretch of, of time where it was work, sleep very little, hunt, shoot my belt. And I was competing, traveling, competing at the time. So that's my whole life revolved. There was a five-year stretch, five, six-year stretch. That's all I did. Yeah. I had nothing. I gave up everything that I knew, fishing, turkey hunting, everything stopped to get to the, where I wanted to go. And looking back now, I would never, I, I don't have it in me to give that much up for anything anymore because well, I got kids and a wife. And it's like, they deserve that type of energy. You know, they 100%. deserve that, that type. So, yeah. you know, Balance, work-life balance, hunting balance. It's a you need to have a accepting spouse. You know, a hundred percent. She needs to be he or she needs behind you. Your mm-hmm. goals, dreams, but you can't also over your goals and dreams can't overshadow theirs or right. your family's dreams. And I, I would say this. Don't, I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but it's like you can't be a diehard hunter all fall and winter, and then be a diehard golfer spending every weekend at the golf course. But the grand says the, you can, right? It's like th- those things don't work. If yeah. you, if you want balance, yes. that's not, that's not balance. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that, that you can't go golf. They don't, I don't want people to take it the yeah. wrong way. You can have some other hobbies yeah. and other interests that you dabble in. But typically when you're a family man, you know, just going to be honest, you typically get one thing yeah. that you're going to pursue and do. Right. It's like, and that's, and that's what it is. Yeah. You know, it, that's like, what like the, the garage we're sitting in now. This has been, you know, eight eight hours on pretty much every Saturday or Sunday working on this thing. Yep. You know, outside of scouting and stuff like that. So like my scouting this year was short, like four hour, four little clips, four hour clips. That's why I'm, I'm hunting locally. You know, yeah. You know, thirty minute max on. Yeah. on and my we talked hunting. about that. Yep. That way you can be home more yep. often. Because I just to can't. Home. I I just don't want to be away that much. Yep. Well, makes sense. All right, so I think we covered that one pretty good. Deep in that one, we did get deep in that one. We need to get superficial here on this yeah. next one. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. 
Um, this next one, we're going to cover two of these in one fell swoop. This one's really about spot and stock hunting in hill country. I'm going to be real honest. I don't have really any experience on spot and stock in, in hill country. I'm probably not the right guy to ask. And then the other one is about hunting from the ground, which I've done very little of. I know some of the general guidelines and tips like you should be using. Um, so I'll kind of turn it over to you first. <laughs> I'm going to take the easy way out here. The <laughs> so spot and stalk. Well, I've shot one deer in the mountains from the ground. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it spot and stalk. I was being more still hunting. Mm-hmm. I was in the right place at the right time. And I didn't hesitate and I made the shot happen and killed the deer. Right. Um, but as far as like still hunting and spot and stalk, I've done it ever since I've killed that buck. When it's super windy, I found in the mountains, the deer just don't move. There's mm-hmm. just the wind swirling way too much, thermals, wind, and then bucks and does just hunker down. So I will still hunt a spot where I think deer are bedded. Right. And I've seen quite You want the right de- conditions though, yeah. right? It's like what you really be looking for would be like either just like after a rain or yeah. like during a light rain yeah. with like a specific even just heavy wind like 30 he- mi- right, 30 mile hour winds inconsistent wind. yes yeah because yeah. you can uh you can cover a lot of you know it's not necessarily about covering a lot of ground you just got to be you know it's almost like freestyle hunting in a way like you mm-hmm. kind of all right i want to get to this point and i'm going to glass this point mm-hmm. you know and i'm going to just take my time like super slow motion you know to get to that point and just constantly scanning with your eyes you know looking ahead mm-hmm. and it a lot of guys in PA, like a lot of, you know, Johnny's good with that with the muzzleloader, mm-hmm. tracking in the snow. Like, it's the same thing. Like, it's something not a lot of people do, but there's success. You can have a lot of success in it. You know, I think Bo's dad's really good at that with the bow. Mm-hmm. You know, ground hunting, you know, bedding areas with the bow. Yeah. So, there's there's a place for it. It's for something sure. you, you should probably try. You know, um, I mean, when I killed my buck, it was just, you know, Unreal. It's awesome. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I don't want to pretend like yeah. I'm an expert at this because I'm still learning a lot of this stuff. You know, my, my advice would be um, watch the hunting public yeah. <laughs> would be my advice. Right. Or watch uh, Jared Scheffler and those guys yes. from Whitetail Adrenaline. I mean, if you want to see spot and stock like on the ground hunting, I mean, I don't know. Hill country is a little more difficult than flat ground because it is because those guys are vis- glassing. Yeah. Your yeah. visibility is limited so like the mountain still hunting i would also watch josh ilderton from the untamed that yeah. dude's doing yeah. spot and stock still hunting yeah. on the ground in west virginia yeah. in, in the mountains so if you really want to see some of that stuff yeah like i would watch the untamed and watch josh josh ilderton because yeah. i mean that dude killed a hammer last year and had killer encounters yeah. last year and it's a lot of it's big woods but and he's it, also using setups where he's like you know out there they'll have like old valley fields and stuff like that were that were kind of like mined out mm-hmm. or whatever, and so it's now all like I don't want to say CRP, but it's just like big grass mine that's just overgrown. Right. Yeah, that they can kind of go in and glass and yeah. stuff like that, and so it's finding setups like that. For me, I hunted a couple times on the ground last year. I had a really good hunt in Missouri on the ground because truthfully, every tree was covered in poison ivy, and I'm yeah. super allergic to it. And was, some of that, yeah. So it was a ground hunt or nothing in that White area. Bucket, yeah. <laughs> And it was just, I found a down tree, you know, that had some breakup, you know, I I wanted some horizontal, you know, and vertical breakup, you know, and so I found an area that was near the scrape line that had a down tree that gave me some horizontal cover, you know, and I set up behind that and had three bucks pass through, you know, didn't get a shot at any, any of them. But, you know, I I think one of the keys is, you know, a couple things that I do, right, is I'm looking for horizontal cover, 
like the main thing. I just want to make sure I'm somewhat hidden. I don't want to be out, out in the open. And the second, probably most important thing is, is I want to be able to, I want to practice and be able to know I can draw my bow in all directions. Right. And I try to stay down below my horizontal cover if I can, you know, and then if I need to rise up to rise up to shoot, if I have to yeah. or whatever, but I want to be able to be able to stay crouched the yeah. entire time. One essentially. That helps help me with my, uh, my deer in the mountains was years of 3d shooting. I mm. was literally on the phone because my buddy was coming up and we we're talking on the phone. So I still hunted down to this point. I was like, I glasses, there's nothing here. So I'm standing next kind of just a little tree and I'm talking real softly on the phone. I look up, there's a buck just standing there. The wind, I mean, it was only 30 mile an hour winds, so like, like big branches are falling. Like it was like, I probably shouldn't have been in the woods. It was like right. super sketchy. And uh, I'm talking on the phone and I was like, I got a buck staring right at me. He's like, shoot it. I'm like, hold on. And I literally, and the buck's looking away from me. So I just put the phone down and I had to shoot like cross body. Right. And he started like going off and I'm like, 30, 30, 35, 35, let it eat, you know? And then, boom, he got center punched him, 12 ring him. He ran 60 yards and died. I was like, I even found my arrow and everything. I was like, one of them perfect. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> it, was like, it was like right for a permit bow. Like it was just one of those things. Right. Years of being able to guesstimate the yardage. Right. Um, That's critical. There, on the man. fly. Because yeah. if I would have had to pull out a range finder, he would have been gone. Yeah. Because I mean, if, especially when you're still hunting and stuff like that, like you don't always have a chance to set up and yes. You know what I mean? So it's, I've even started doing that in my backyard. Now it's a little different in my backyard because I'll start to know like yeah. certain yardages, you know, but I'll walk through my yard and shoot without a range finder and just stand at different places. So I'm not using a, yeah. a consistent area. So I'm always having to kind of judge my gap, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? So to speak. Right. Um, cool. Well, I think we've, I think we've covered that as well as we can, you know, like yeah. I said, there's people out there. If you want to know more about, you should that if, the three yeah. people that I that we mentioned, Jared and the guys from Whitetail Addiction and, and do it, public it and the Untamed. Is it's good to have the ability to make that happen. Oh yeah. I think it's I think for me it's it's one of those things that I have a lot a lot more confidence freestyle hunting the more I hunt from the ground. Yes. Because it used to be I never wanted to hunt a setup unless I could be up. Yeah. <clears throat> right. And now it's like I don't really care. You know, yep. I'll walk into an area. If I need to hunt it from the ground, I will. Yep. You know, There's if, a couple spots I scouted in Millville. Some of them are great because other people won't hunt them because you have to hunt bingo. from the ground. The, the laurel and all the stuff, overgrowth, they got the little runways in there. And it's just, it's a deer runway. And you can't, you don't know it's a runway. You got to crawl on your hands and knees. I mean, there's a signpost rub I found. I'm like, I'm setting that thing. Yep. Because it's like, there's a big scraping area in the open. And it's just this corridor of just buck trap. And I was like, I got no problem sitting one of those, you know. 15 yards off the trail, yep. you know, and yep. just be ready to go. You know, it's like just practice drawing and, and, and shooting. Make sure you're not hitting anything yep. behind you. Make sure you're not making that's any noise. That's exciting hunting, you know. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. You know, the adrenaline is awesome. Well, then it's like when you're sitting there, like when you're on the ground, you know, and you're, whether you're standing yep. crouched, I like to be crouched or on my knees or whatever, just guys, I feel more comfortable yep. there. I feel like I'm hidden yep. more, you know, but clear out an area so yep. you're not making noise if you need to move or reposition yep. to shoot, but making sure that whenever you draw in all directions, your elbow doesn't hit a branch or crack something or whatever, right. To like spook yep. that deer. But the thing that's super exciting about it is that I'm not up off the ground, so I can't see real far. Yep. So the first time I see something is likely going to be, it's going to be, I'm going to need to get yep. ready to kill it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Cause it's going to be right there, yep. you know, most, most of the time. Right. Cause there's no, like, you know, being able to see like 
yeah, it might be really thick and I might only be able to shoot 15 yards, but I might be able to see over the brush to like 40 or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, there's none of that. It's like, you're in the shit, yeah. you know, but, uh, all right. So I think we covered that one. Um, moving on to the next one here. The next question is, uh, it's kind of specific about Wisconsin. So I have no, no clue, but, um, when do white acorns or white oak acorns drop in Wisconsin? That I'm not sure. Um, I've never been to Probably. Wisconsin. I would early say sep- be, early September when they right would be yeah. the same time yeah. roughly around here, um, and then when do deer prefer acorns over beans? As soon as the acorns start dropping, <laughs> right? Yeah, as soon as they can stay in the cover. Right? Yeah, 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 for sure. You know, I know we got you know especially mature deer. I've literally watched big bucks that come out into a bean field, and if there's an oak tree, like this one little spot I used to hunt back in the day, it was all always beans, and in this corner it was like five oaks. When their oaks were dropping, I mean, it was like a magnet. And these buck, big bucks would just, wouldn't even stop with the beans. They would just come out and go right to those oaks. Yep. And it's like they, they care less. And the beans are, you know, late planted beans are you know, only like knee high. Right. Care less. Yep. They're going right to it. Because acorns are just a, it's a short time frame that they're available. Yeah, so they're it's like dessert, to, man. It's yep. like you can only have it like but so often, right? Yep. And it's like, and so when it's when it's there, it's, you know, it's yep. going to be an attractant. I think, I think the other thing too is, by and large, aside from like late planted yep. beans, right? If beans were planted at like the normal time yep. in like spring or whatever, when the ground temperature gets to the right temp and stuff like that, the nice thing is, is that about the time they're yellowing and going out is yep. about the time acorns are going to start dropping, yep. right? And so, it, and I think you really don't have to worry too much about it, I don't think. But the one thing I would say is that what you'll probably find also is a lot of them hanging up in those areas staging. Mm-hmm as they go out to fill their belly. Right. And so it's like, they might have that little bit of ice cream on their way now to the bean field, right. To now go out and like grab tonnage under the cover of dark and be in staying in the timber, munching those acorns prior to going out. Possible. You know? So, but I think to your point, it's like, do they want acorns? Hell yeah. They want acorns. You know what I mean? Acorns were literally, I've, I've watched their, I mean, cross highways for them. I mean, it is, Especially if it's a if it's a weak crop, there's only a few trees drop. Especially the the first tree that drops, if you can find a tree that's dropping like the first day by sheer luck, mm-hmm. there's going to be a buck there within you know 24 hours. Yeah, usually date because that tree might only drop for three days. You know, right. <laughs> so he's going to get get his fill and move on. Well, right, which is why like this time of year it's important to take some glass with you while you're scouting and be that's looking why at I trees. Today, did you? I got there. I was like. I can't see, even with binoculars, unless I got my glasses on. I was like, I don't even have binoculars or my glasses. It's like, it looks like acorns. Uh, I don't know. That <laughs> looks like a leaf, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Some green yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, this next question is, the. so they're asking, like, what our process is for finding a buck based on early nighttime pictures. I think the first thing I would ask would be like, what's early nighttime, right? Early as in right after dark. Right. Or early as in like early morning, like nighttime, you know? So I think there's a couple of different ways you could cut this. Break it down both ways, morning and evening. Yeah. So I think the approach for me is really the same for either to be, to be, to be honest. If it's, if it's in the evening and I'm getting a, say it's getting dark out. I actually had this happen last year and actually had it happen a couple of years ago too, where if it's right at like dark, right. And maybe it's like a half hour, an hour after dark in the evening, 
like that tells me it's like, I'm pretty close. If this is October yes. now, right. Let's say October. Cause I think it's a little bit different whenever you start to get into November. I don't think you can do this as much, you know, or it, I don't think it's as telling, but September, October, right. If it's an hour ish after dark, roughly, I know I'm pretty close to wherever he's bedded. Right. So, cause it's took it, it, he stood up, took a piss, stretched a little bit, probably munched a little bit that it was around his bed and then started on his merry way as to wherever he's going, wherever that camera is set up at that got his picture. Right. And so if I look at it, I'm looking now, all right, where's the best bedding and cover that would be one layer removed from mm-hmm. where this camera is in the direction from which this deer was potentially traveling. This is also why I think it's really important for some of these areas to run a video camera or I'm sorry, a camera on video mode. Cause now you can get the walking direction as opposed to like, did your camera trigger as soon as you got in front of it? Did your camera trigger whenever he was walking mm-hmm. past it? So d- the, d- the direction his ass is facing, is that literally where he came from? If you're on video mode, there's no question. Like that's the, you know, what direction you walked from. And then in the morning, it's kind of the same thing, but the reverse, if I'm getting him like an hour right before daylight hits, I'm looking at it going like, all right, he's pretty close to his bed now at this point. What is the next best bedding and cover feature yeah. that would be, you know, roughly an hour walk for this deer? Which is probably something around the around it could be two hundred yards. Yeah. You know what I mean, roughly. And so that's kind of like what I'm looking at, right? If it's even closer than that, then he's even closer than that, in my opinion, because they're not getting up taking a sprint. Yeah. You know, it's the Yeah, they're taking like a leisurely like if you've ever watched a deer walk, you know Especially a buck. Right. And they're they're in no hurry to go anywhere. Yeah, if it's not the rut, they're in no hurry to go anywhere. They're lollygagging around. They're nipping on stuff as they're walking mm-hmm. by and grazing as they're coming. Like, we've all watched a, a deer take 20 minutes to make it 50 yards, yeah. you know what I mean, or 20 yards or whatever, depending on how much they're browsing yeah. or whatever. It's like so. And you're running out of light, and you're like, just do it. Yeah, so it's like I'm thinking, like, if it's within an hour, like, he's no more than 200 yards, like, max yep. away from the it, camera. How you said the, the different layers of where beddings could be. It might only be 50 yards. Might only be, yeah. You know, and you know, I've watched bucks get up out of beds and go to beds like super cautious. Mm-hmm. The first 50 yards out of a bed, mm-hmm. just everything is just one step, just listening. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you're like, come on, let's go. One step, I'm not going to move for five minutes, you know. So right. the next available, you know, good bedding is probably where he's going to be. Right. You know, um, and it depends, I guess, what. Is it a scrape? Is it a field edge? I was just going to say that. Because if it's a scrape, you know, all right, he's probably not betting, you know, 50 yards off a scrape, you know, unless he's staging up there, you know, October. If it's rut and you're getting him, then he's probably bedded close by because he's trying to scent check any does that come by it, like as they're coming by. Yeah, like a summertime community scrape, that's a tough sell, you know. Field edge, it's a tough sell too because, you know, I've I've seen bucks travel far distance to get to a bean field or whatever might be out there because that's the only food and yeah. they got to pack on, you know, inches, you know, before, yeah. you know, yeah, or, they put on some weight to yep. make it, to make it through. Yeah. And I was just going to say that too. It's like, it also depends on the how much the feature that yeah. the camera set up on. Right. Cause and just taking out the food aspect yeah. of it, but like how much cover versus how, how open is it? Right. Yeah. Cause he could get to close to where that camera is and then hang up there right on the edge of it for 30 minutes waiting for dark to fall till he, till he makes the next move. You know what I mean? So you have to kind of take into consideration. The rut thing is really interesting because I had that one deer I had on camera last year, the big deer that was near that primary scrape that I got 
on that classic date that you like to kind of point out around that 16th ish, 15th, 16th, 17th, 15th to the 18th, yeah. really kind of time frame. Um, when you'll get that first big deer hit a scrape in daylight, yeah. it was classic, but he was showing up like 15 minutes before shooting before dark. Yeah. You still had, I still had 15 minutes of shooting light left to like the first time I caught him. Yeah. And what that told me was big dudes, not bedded too far from here. Yeah. Like he is right on top of it because he's, He's really trying to catch that first early doe yep. is what he's doing, right? And so I was like, man, he is bedded right there. Like he's, And I kind of figured out probably where it was after I went back through and yep. scouted again. Um, actually, when I had snow this year, I tracked through some of yep. it to see where they were moving. And I kind of found a little area where I was like, oh, shit. I was like, if I was a buck trying to monitor that scrape, that's where I would, mm-hmm. be, that's where I would be. You know, and sure enough, there was just like a bunch of, you know, sign, a bunch yep. of tracks that were there and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's important time of year, what feature your camera's on, but that and, typically is how I would do it. And like I said, it, cover is super important. Like, like if it's open, your camera's in a very open spot. Mm-hmm. Then he's probably, like I said, holding up before he gets out to that camera. Yeah. You know, he might only be 100 yards away betting, yeah. but he's not going to break, you know, into... Expose himself. Yeah. 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 I think the other thing, too, is like even if you have nighttime pictures, like middle of the night, right, it's like... That stuff's still valuable, yeah. right? It's you still do the same the same process, you know, and start to backtrack. But now you probably just have a wider scope yeah. of stuff you need to look at, right? And it depends on how big your property is too. If you have a two hundred acre piece and you're getting midnight pictures, he ain't, he ain't better on your property. Yeah. yeah, he's just cruising through. Yeah, we always see him. Social media is good for that. This giant buck, never seen him. He's never will again. Yeah, <laughs> it's two a.m., dude. <laughs> Unless you got like fifty thousand acres. He's probably not living anywhere near where you can hunt. Yep, exactly. And so for that, you know, it's the same process. You just need to look at a larger area. So if you're hunting a good chunk of public or whatever, it's like, well, now you, to me now more than ever, video mode is critical because you really need to know what direction he's traveling to. So you can start to narrow down what the betting opportunities are, you know, because who knows at that point how far away he's how far away he's moving to to bet. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five star rating. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there, too. I'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.